0: we the people. We the people.
1: We the people of the United States. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves, and our posterity to ordain and establish this
0: Constitution for the United States of America. And welcome back cheese lovers everywhere and Constitution lovers everywhere. It is Constitution Thursday on Afternoons Live, a time we set aside to look at the United States Constitution. and talk about what it said, why it was written that way, what the arguments were to get it written that way. What it meant to the people that wrote it, how it's been interpreted since then, and how it affects your life even today. Started last week, part one of two, and we looked last week, John, at the judiciary and how the judiciary was supposed to be set up and what it was intended to be. Right. It was not intended to be anything other than the final check, I guess, if you will. It was the the third-ranked branch of the government. It was intended to be that way. And yet, you'd have a hard time arguing today that it's not numero uno. In fact, a poll taken probably four or five years ago indicated that... Well, it was after Watergate and some of the other scandals. Indicated that most people trust the judiciary more than they trust the presidency or the or the Congress. I mean, I do. <laughs> Shouldn't that concern us? Though? Yeah, definitely. And of course... It does. So, part two of the judiciary, entitled The Million Dollar Stripper. A e loqui conitio. Stand up. Tell those who oppose liberty, don't tread on me. So, imagine, if you will, John, that you are a police officer in, I refer to it as BFE Nebraska, but sure. it's, it's in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska. It is... Flat, and basically there are not a lot of people around.
1: Doing my duty to the Nebraska taxpayer with my radar.
0: Ripping gun. through on presumably I, is it I-70 that goes through Nebraska, I think it is. Whichever highway it is that goes through there. Headed east Nebraska through Nebraska Street. Probably in a 70 zone, you know, because that's how it is. At at maybe 75, Not not anything critically, you know... Nothing more than just, hey, they're speeding. Not fleeing a bank robbery, but not quite. Not reckless driving. That's, that's the point I'm getting to. Like in Virginia, 20 over is automatically reckless. Okay. Whereas in Montana, 20 over is, you know, expected. Hey, you got, an extra, got an extra five bucks there. <laughs> um, Point being that it's a, it's a relatively innocuous thing. You pull over in your uh, in your police cruiser, which may or may not be a Crown Vic at this point. It might be a Ford uh, mid-sized SUV. Uh-huh. You pull over what appear to be a couple of what appears to be East Asian descent. They are clearly married. They are clearly just the normal people. They're uh-huh. just speeding. Sorry, officer, we didn't realize we were going that fast. You know how it is. You're, you turn on the radio, you got some Bob Dylan going, and everybody's singing along, and the next thing you know, you're lead footing it down the highway through Nebraska, because it is, after Bob Dylan. Nebraska. Right. and. Really, anything would make Nebraska better. <laughs> is that one of those flat corn-intensive states? It is a very flat corn-intensive state, with a large lake in the left end of it, the west end of it. I say left because you're looking at a map. Yes. So. No, you're not wrong. <laughs> as you're uh, as you're talking to this couple, they don't seem particularly nervous. They don't seem particularly there's there's nothing that would normally cause a police art to go. Hey, wait a minute, these people might be. Wait up a stuff.
1: second. But
0: you, being a diligent Nebraska state trooper, ask them in your most polite mid- Midwestern corn-fed accent, hey, can I search your car?
1: Might have to take a look around the vehicle real quick.
0: Having nothing to hide because they've done nothing wrong other than speed. They say, sure, go right ahead. Which, of course, we've learned on this show, if nothing else, you might want to think should twice be, about that.
1: Should maybe not do it.
0: You pop the trunk on the car and in the back of the trunk, wrapped in plastic bags, presumably garbage bags, because they're the only thing that would be big enough to fit. Unless you had a bunch
1: of smaller bags.
0: Are $10,000 bundles of $1 bills, totaling a million dollars in cash.
1: A million in ones? In
0: ones.
1: Oh, wow.
0: As you heard the sheriff say earlier, this would cause you to go wait a <laughs>
1: second right
0: in this particular case, being a diligent young Nebraska state trooper, I say young i 'm assuming that i don't really know for all I know he was seventy five and i 'm young chromergeny you uh you immediately get on the horn to your supervisor and say, "Hey yeah.
1: uh, i'm going to need a second opinion on this because they have a million damn dollars in their trunk drug dog is sent out." And the drug dog,
0: maybe, maybe not. Sort of gets a kind of maybe, sort of something of a a hit on the money. Maybe, it's not
1: clear. Maybe he's just smelling money.
0: It's not clear that there's any drugs in the money, and they don't find any drugs in the money. But the dog hit the hit the uh, hit hit on it. Sort of, kind of. As as they uh, said, in, what was the dog in Tennessee say in that video? Well, it wasn't a very strong hit. This is even less than that. Okay. The Nebraska State Police decided that this particular couple must be up to nefarious activity. They arrested them and seized the million dollars. Because obviously it's drug money, right? I mean... Right, everybody would come to that
1: conclusion. Tons of drug dealers paying ones.
0: Right, and everybody carries around, as you heard the sheriff say, everybody carries a around a million, million dollars bucks in your cash. Trunk. Right. Yeah. Also,
1: if they're drug dealers, you mind if I take a look around the vehicle? Yes, I mind. Don't you'd you think, think? Right, you'd think that's so, what they would, because say. they know what's back there, and if
0: they had a reason to really worry about right. it, but then the police would have a reason to say, "Oh, I'll just wait here while I go get the, the drug dog." Right. Blah blah blah. Point being that the Nebraska police seized the million dollars. It was soon discovered that this was all a horrible mistake. That there was, in fact, no drugs involved whatsoever. And while the money did not technically belong to the couple in the car, they had been tasked with carrying the money by the person to whom it did belong, one Tara Mishra. Of Rancho Cucamonga, California. And let me say here, with all editorial components intact, Tara Mishra of Rancho Cucamonga, California, is a babe.
1: A stripper babe.
0: And she is a stripper.
1: Ah-ha! Who
0: started working as a stripper at the ripe old age of, well, she says 18, but it's Rancho Cucamonga, so who really knows how old she actually was? And over the course of her stripping career, John, one dollar at a time, she has collected a million dollars, bundled them together in $10,000 bundles, and stored them in trash bags, which are now in the back of a friend's car on their way to the East Coast.
1: So it is possible that maybe the drug dog got a hit off of something in there. It's very possible. I mean, somebody that the could money... have used one of those ones as like a Coke straw or something. Right. But there's no evidence that the people that
0: had the money did no to terror do it. No evidence that Tara ever right. did it.
1: Wow. A million dollars? One dollar at it, a time. One dollar at a time. How long? Okay. Well, just out now, of curiosity. In fairness,
0: in fairness. I don't know if you've ever been one of these strip clubs. In fairness, it was probably 20 to $25 bills one of the t- at, you know, at a time.
1: From yes. each individual, but twenty five dollar bills, right, 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 but I've seen so many of those. Yeah, well, no, no, no. I mean, one guy, guy with with you ever? Yeah, one oh, guy with 25 ones lined up in <laughs> yes, front of him. That and, guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's, I'm sorry. Not I'm that sorry. I'm making about fun that. of you and being a jerk just now. Not that
0: I know anything about that. Sorry, not just sorry. saying. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily. It doesn't necessarily mean that she got a hundred or a million people to give her one dollar <laughs> each. Although that'd be a right. whale of a fundraiser. Uh, No. But it does mean that over the course of her career, she earned a million dollars in tips.
1: It's the guy who has built Monticello out of ones (laughs) right in front of him on the stage.
0: Now, there are some legitimate issues that that Pat the Lawyer keeps bringing up with us, which are IRS-related. I don't know what the rules on tips for strippers are, but (laughs) it's probable that the IRS will want to talk to her. Right. Maybe she claimed him. It's very possible she did. I mean, don't they have to... Waitresses, they have to fill out a form, right? That estimates all this stuff, and
1: uh, yeah, the way it worked when I had a job that that got tips, I was a, a delivery driver, basically, and it was kind of like when you would clock off for the day, it would say, "Did you get any tips? How much?" And then you just punch in your number, and it would deduct it, right, and, and hold it aside. Right.
0: I've had occasion to see the waitress form where they have that, and it's usually just an estimated thing because yeah. because they actually end up splitting tips with busboys right. and cooks and everything else. Right. So it's, there's, there's all kinds of consideration. I have never in my life, and I'm going to be totally frank here, I've never even asked a stripper what the IRS forms that they file are. I, it's never even crossed my mind. I've been married for four years now, so <laughs> you'll understand that I have some experience on the other side of this right. thing. You never asked the question because you
1: were too busy building Monticello out of once. Right.
0: <laughs> but never did I think to ask, hey, are you going to report that? Yeah. On your- hey, there? how does that work anyway?
1: You'll <laughs> so Anthony Weiner-esque <sighs> right now. I really do. I know. Your past is coming out as part of your uh, your job here. The point is, in all of
0: this, that the million dollars is clean. It's legit. It's just unusual. Right. But the Nebraska state troopers seized it because they were convinced that since they did get a slight, sort of, kind of, almost weak
1: drug hit on it, that it must be drug-related. Well, I mean, I would even make the argument that at that point it's at least worth looking into. You know what I mean? If you've got the drug dog out there and the drug dog kind of reacts to it, you yeah, know, maybe see what you can find out, right? Right. I don't know. So, of
0: course, the people involved... In it, oh, by the way, uh, Tara... And the couple in the car are going in together to buy a club on the East Coast. And they're on their way to put the million dollars down to buy the, to a buy the club. club. I don't know if it's a strip club or not. I assume so, but <laughs> didn't actually ask that question. Right. By the way, she's 33 now. So 33 so might her that long. Really, really didn't, you know, a little over what 12, 13, 14, 15 years of stripping right. to, to make a million dollars. I'm not recommending that as a uh, career path, but. Seems like it's got its advantages. That's all right. I'm saying. She had uh, packaged the money in $10,000 bundles tied with hair bands and placed in plastic bags. Oh, by the way, it was a rental car, too. That may have been part of the problem with all this thing. Right. The um, the issue here then becomes one of the state police are clearly, well, they investigated all of this and very quickly discovered that this was all legit and above board. They, right. That, Really, this is not drug money. And so, you, John, of course, they released the couple in question, the uh, the couple. They, oh, sorry, we didn't, you know. Yeah. We just had to check. You and apologize. And, of course, they immediately returned the million dollars, right? Right. Of course, they don't. No, they didn't return right. the million dollars. Right. They kept the million dollars. And that, of course, is where the courts entered into all of this.
1: So they say, hey, it was all our mis- How does... Oh... <laughs> How does that even happen? It was all our mistake, da-da-da-da-da, everything seems above board. How is the next thing not here's your million dollars back? It's a good question. Darn good question. And, of course, but this is the reason
0: wh- why we established the judiciary to begin with. Because right. somewhere along the line, a legislative body passed a law saying, well, if you find drug money, you seize it. An executive signed off on that, didn't veto that, going, well, wait a second, there may be a case or two where, and you haven't addressed that here. And so the last court of refuge, if you will, is the judiciary system that says, well, let's review what you've done here. Okay. But that, of course, was not its original intent. Its original intent was to kind of just sort of backstop everything and make sure constitutionality was followed, whether you were talking about a state or the federal.
1: Isn't that kind of what they're doing now in this case? I mean, if called upon to rule on this case, isn't that sort of what they're doing? But should they even have had to? Well, probably what should have happened is that whatever the you know the 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 office of of this law enforcement organization, the Nebraska to, State Troop. Yeah, sure. Okay, the the Nebraska State State Trooper's office says, oh. All a mistake. We unseize it and return it right. into your here's possession. Your, here's con- your money back. Continue on your way. Instead, so it should. It shouldn't have to go to the
0: courts. But instead, we're going to force them to hire lawyers, attorneys, go right. through trial and go through motions. But the and fact that it it, it it depositions and
1: the fact that it can go to court makes me feel better. You know what I mean? Like that way, you know that these people can't just you know run roughshod over this couple who you know whose only crime was hanging out with a stripper.
0: But here's the question you got to ask yourself. Why did the state troopers keep the money? That's what it, that's. No, no, I don't mean it. I don't mean it in that. I mean it in a different sense. Did they keep the money figuring that the courts were going to be on their side and so they could get away with it? Did they not have the fear of realization that the court was going to go? What are you out of your freaking
1: mind? Give them their money back. So once they realize their mistake, how do they decide that they're keeping the money is what you're saying? Right. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. How Like, how do you get to that conclusion that somehow, even though you know it was your bad, how do you now justify keeping the money? Check. And did they do that because they felt like, well,
0: it's a very complicated system and the judge will come down on our side?
1: I don't know, man.
0: Therein lies the the query in all of this. The judicial system, of course, was set up to be the weakest of the three branches. Nobody would argue today that it is not at least equal, if not superior in strength to some of the other branches. How did it get that way? How did we get to the point where the court has to step in and say, hey, dummies, give them their money back in the first place, without even getting into the the Fourth Amendment issues, which we could get into in all this, but we're not going to today. The, The bigger point I want to make today is that it took the courts and the lack of there's a phrase in, in 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 Scripture, you know, the fear of the Lord, and it doesn't mean fear in the sense of, oh, I'm afraid, but the, the, the respect, the lack of respect before the law that allowed this to go on as long as it did. Fifteen months. Fifteen months, John, it took before the courts came out this week and said, give them their money back now.
1: Fifteen months it took to do that. Wow, dude, and that's, dude. So that so these people are all ready to go to buy this this club or whatever. In the meantime, more than a year goes by. I'm sure they couldn't possibly even go buy this club now. I'm, Probably I'm, not. I'm sure they found another buyer. Real you estate know, market crisis is over. So presumably, this whole thing has just screwed up their whole lives, pretty much at this point. Right. Or at least you know the foreseeable future. So how do we get to that
0: point? That's the dude. question. Five six five, Dave. This is the text machine five six five three two eight three. Stay with us. Back right after. This particular case, John, the case of the million dollar stripper, is particularly delicious for a lot of reasons. Number one, it's very exotic. But it does deal with a lot of the problems of these uh, seizures of property from people who have not convicted, been convicted of, or even ultimately accused of a crime, and the difficulty they have with getting it back. In fact, in some states, the uh, the police departments will go ahead and get that money from the courts and spend it,
1: even before there's. That's a nightmare, dude. Can you imagine if I mean it turns and it it turns out that you're exonerated of you know, all these crimes or whatever, and then you've still lost all that stuff. Where's my million dollars? Yeah.
0: It's uh, it's a frustrating thing, and it's, it's becoming problematic nationwide. One of the things that I don't have time to get into today that I'd like to get into is this presumptive hit by the dog. Do you realize that virtually, I mean, it, it's possible, if you've got more than a few dollars in your pocket, it's possible, because of the way money circulates, that it's got some drug residue on it. Even if you've never actually touched drugs in your life. Sure. So you get pulled over for a minor infraction. Can I search your car? You say yes, the dog sniffs your wallet, and guess what? It should make everybody a little nervous, shouldn't it? Yeah. That's a subject for another day, perhaps when we get back on the Fourth Amendment. In the meantime, we're looking at the court, the judiciary, how it was set up, what it was intended to be. The the original court, the original Supreme Court, as defined by the by Article three. Was established by Congress as a six-member court. Now, six members seems odd, doesn't it? Because we know
1: it to be nine. What if it's three and three? Yeah, and that too. Right? There's no tiebreaker at all, except that they weren't really seen
0: to be that way. They weren't really supposed to be. It's kind of hard to explain. Making
1: partisan rulings on issues. They
0: weren't really going to be looking at that kind of stuff. Yeah, they were only going to be looking at you know strict interpretations of the Constitution. And it wasn't considered to be that hard. And because of the population, it was considered to be fairly good. As the as the court grew, it actually at one point expanded out to ten before they settled on the current nine. The <clears throat> there have been attempts throughout our history to expand it even greater. The the most famous one being of course uh, Fred, uh Frederick <laughs> Franklin Roosevelt's Attempt in nineteen thirty seven to increase the size of the court and pack it with his own people.
1: He wanted like fifteen justices, right?
0: And he wanted to make them retire when they were each reached a certain age, and blah blah. He wanted to make some major changes in the court because the court had basically told him to uh, no on his, some of his social reforms, right? Oddly enough, John, because the court is supposed to be above political influence. Oddly enough, after his attempt to do that was defeated, the Supreme Court suddenly found itself in favor of the same programs and attempts and things that he wanted to do that they had been dead set against beforehand. Nobody can really explain why, other than
1: other than he maybe wrote a check. Other
0: than maybe they were afraid that Congress wouldn't have their back the next time. Ah. And that was part of the problem. The court was set up to do that. Now, of course, there are two separate types of judges, and you need to understand this. There are Article Three judges, which are the Supreme Court justices. There are Article I judges who are the judges and lower tribunals set up by Congress. Although they are overseen by the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court is above all of them, they are set up by Congress. Congress decides who these guys are. Follow me here? Congress, of course, was tasked with setting them up as basically as needed. And that's really where our saga begins. Because you see, once upon a time the judiciary was very weak, and very small. In 1792, the end of basically the first Congress, for every seven Congress people, for every seven Congressmen that were in the, the House, right. there was one federal judge. Do you know what that ratio is today?
1: No, what is it now?
0: Take a step, just take a wild guess.
1: <sighs> for every, okay, so For every I would one say...
0: Congress person, how many judges are there? I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, for every, for every one judge, how many Congress people are there?
1: I would say for every one judge, there's 1.2 congresspeople. Not even close. Really? For every
0: one congressperson, there are now two federal judges. Wow! Ah! In other words, Congress, 435 people's representatives. There are more than twice as many judges as there are congresspeople. Really? And that doesn't even include the state systems. That's just the federal system. Every judge has a staff. Check. Yeah, he's got his clerk, he's got his assistants, he's right, got his lawyers, right, he's right. Got, his, got all his people around him. Those people have families. Every judge has lawyers that he works with, you know, that are influenced by him. Every judge has contacts in his community. I mean, how do we look at judges around here? We look at them with great respect. We kind of put it's kind of that Becky Thatcher or uh, Judge Thatcher, Becky Thatcher's father, Tom Sawyer thing. We kind of put them up on a pedestal. Sure, they have influence in our community, and there are twice as many of them as there are Congress people, with bigger staffs. And oh, by the way, when law students graduate from college, do they go clerk for Congress people or do they go clerk for judges? Who do they learn from?
1: So the whole thing is now set up to kind of perpetuate this idea of judges as being the, you know.
0: Each judge today customarily radiates authority over a circle of local intimates, magistrates, masters, law clerks, and so on. Through which the judiciary's informal influence seeps into every corner of the country. Right. While at the same time, Congress, which was originally set up to be one for every 30,000 people, has now limited itself to one every 600,000 people. How many of you have ever actually met and talked to your congressperson? If you saw him walking down the street, how many of you would know who he was? Yet the likelihood is, you know somebody... Who knows the judges in your area? See the difference there? Yeah. And this, of course, came about because, well, it wasn't intended to be that way, but as we've seen since the first time we started, since we started this thing all along, <laughs> Congress uh, decided to make it easy on themselves. It's half past the hour, 565-DAVE, five, five, five six five three two eight three text machine. Stay with us. Back after the <laughs> So, welcome back to Afternoons Live, KFIB, 1360 AM, Modesto, KWSX, 1280 AM, Stockton. It's Dave, it's John, it's you, it's Constitution Thursday, Article 3, Part 2, the Judiciary. The number two question I always get asked, John, is how did I get started in radio? Uh, The number one question I always get asked is how did we get screwed up like this? How did did this happen? (laughs) I think I've asked you that. We have postulated numerous times. You go back in Constitution Thursday, which you can get on our website at kfiv1360.com or via iTunes. The volume 2 is the, uh, the current volume we're at. We did this once before. We went all the way through it. Uh-huh. And then uh, in January of this year, we started over again. And if you recall, John, we started very early on with a discussion about Congress being told that they had responsibility for something. And they said, well
1: I believe they found a
0: way to We don't want to do that. Right. To blame that on the president.
1: Right. Make him That'll do make it. that'll make us look bad. What if we make the president do it? We uh,
0: we passed a law that said the president has to make a finding and if he makes a finding then this law takes effect. And if it doesn't if he does make that finding then it does. And of course the president did make the finding and the brig Aurora got seized expected. and and uh You know, international tensions rose and everybody was upset because and the Congress stood there and went, well, he's the one that found the finding. Why are you blaming us? We just did what courts, of course, had ruled early on that uh, Congress did have the power to delegate its authority. (coughs) (coughs) See, the courts ruled early on that the Congress had the authority to delegate its own authority.
1: So you're saying it's the judicial branch of the, of the government's fault for having screwed this whole thing up? For it's allowing not the judicial
0: branch's fault. No. I mean, really, if you have a triumvirate, let's say you're the Roman Empire, and you have Marcus Anthony, Antonius, you've got Lepidus, and Octavian. That one's me. Check. who are you? Octavian. Okay. I wanted to be Octavian. Tough rocks. All right, then I'm Mark Anthony. Fine. You know what that means.
1: Dave Mazzi's lepidus.
0: Cleopatra. <laughs> anyway, All right. I mean, I know I'm going to die in the end, but hey, some things are worth it, right? Yeah. Um, the point is, when one of those three, without officially being told, okay, you're more powerful than the rest of them, but sort of starts doing it anyway, oh, we'll handle that. For I'll handle that. No problem. I got that. Uh, you're busy out there and i I got that. At first, that. they just look helpful. Right. But eventually, you start to realize that...
1: Wait, wait a second. Sec, they've, uh, <laughs> they've, in essence, taken over. We've kind of given them a lot of responsibilities.
0: Here, the way the Constitution aligned the government, of course, Congress was supposed to be the most powerful. It had the biggest branch. It had the most people. It had the most reach the relative relationship between the people and the congressperson at one per 30,000, the likelihood is you knew your congressman, you talked to him on a regular, heck, he was probably your neighbor of some sort or another from the other side of the city. You, uh, you didn't have any fear of going up to him and saying, Hey Davey, what's going on? Whereas most people today would not do that to a congressman for whatever reason. We hold them in awe. And I'm not sure why that is. They put their pants on the same way you do, but The Even they have begun to think of themselves in a different way. But this Article I section allowed them to set up lower courts, lesser courts, if you will. The lesser courts, of course, would be answerable to Congress under the way that the original Constitution was set up. The original law, the original judiciary was set up by Congress. These lower courts answered to Congress. Congress not necessarily the Supreme
1: Court which makes perfect sense when you look at the way the the founders it sort of divided federal issues from issues of the people basically of course
0: that didn't last long when congress found out well, that's a lot of work <laughs>
1: You know what we should do here? This all happens because Congress is lazy and the judiciary is a busybody. What we should do
0: here is make the Supreme Court justices oversee these other uh, courts. I mean, I mean, after all, they're judges and lawyers. They know all yeah. this stuff and we don't. Oh, we don't know anything about the law. So over time, the courts were moved into the judicial side of things and overseen by the Supreme Court. Now, there's an old civil service maxim that your authority is determined by two things. The size of your budget and the size of your staff. He who hath the largest staff and the largest budget is the most powerful. Right. If you looked at our three branches of government today, does Congress have the largest budget and the largest staff? Well, it doesn't seem like they do. They're number three. Executive is by far and away number one. Judicial number two. And both of them together, Congress doesn't even come close. Yeah. This was not what was intended to be. And this, this permeate, this, imp, this permeation into the society of the judicial, well, it, uh, it caused a lot of, uh, it's caused a lot of this. A large federal judiciary corps has blunted two of the major advantages employed by the, by the, gov- by the Congress when we founded this country. Sheer numerousness and personal connectiveness to citizens. The simple fact is that it is more likely that you are in personal contact with somebody who is either a judge or works for a judge or works with a judge than your congressperson. Yeah. Your congresspeople, it seems, I know, I know it's kind of a joke, but it seems like congresspeople go out of their way not to be in contact with us. Right? I mean, you call their office. How many times have we tried to call their offices to get, you know, to, to register our opinion? I said, what do you get? If you get through to their office, you get, some intern
1: somewhere that's just writing down your opinion, and you don't know if it gets to them or not. Right. The only way you can be sure you get their ear is if you, you know, write a check, pay $10,000 to, you know, play a couple holes of golf with them. Seems like Congress has made themselves
0: more, less and less available to the people, while the judiciary, one way or the other, has made themselves more and more accessible to the people. Is it any wonder, then, that they've had more and more influence over what happened? add into this a congress which says well we need more judges because we are passing more and more laws that need to be watched over can't expect to have all these laws and not have the Brian. not have the judges to deal with the consequences of these laws whatever they might be and eventually you reach a point John where the two are going to come into conflict the judicial is going to disagree with the legislative and we're not even to the executive yet, the two are going to disagree. And the power struggle then really begins, doesn't it? And you would expect that if the people say, we want this ballot proposition passed, and our legislators say, yes, we'll pass that ballot proposition, and the judiciary says, no, which one would you think should win? And yet, which one most often does? How did that happen? It's Congress again. Stay with us. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Afternoons live with Dave and John right here on KFYV, KWSX, iHeartRadio. So when we left you, John, the... The court system, and and while we're primarily talking about the federal court system here, it's applicable to the state court system as well, Uh although not specifically aimed at that. Because the same battle exists within the state system versus the legislative So We see it today. Our, Our Supreme Court justice here in the state of California is constantly haranguing on the legislature for not giving them enough money. And we've seen in the past here in California where a judge makes a ruling that the people disagree with, and what happens to Judge Rosebird? She gets recalled. We have a unique scenario here in California where we get to actually vote on the judges. Right. Anytime a judge is uh, appointed to the Supreme Court bench, we get to vote on the first general election. And then every 12 years thereafter, they come up again and we get to vote on them again. Plus, we can recall them if need be. But the same tension exists, if you will, between the, uh, between the, the, the two branches. You would think that the legislative branch, being the closest to the people, being the most supported by them, being the most obviously supportive, because we don't like what the legislators do, and we replace them theoretically. We don't actually do that, but we're supposed to be able to. You would think that they would get the message and they would say, "Okay, this must be the will of the people," and we go on from there. But through time, as the court system, as the judicial system, has more and more asserted its power over things, consider the doctrine of incorporation. There are many people who disagree with the doctrine of incorporation. There are many people who like the doctrine of incorporation until it's applied to the Second Amendment. Then they don't like it. The will of the people speaks loudly, but the courts, for all of their influence, don't seem to hear. There are factors involved here. One of which is, when we read a court opinion, Okay, we get a 5-4 to four ruling from the Supreme Court. We don't get nine rulings from the court, do we? We usually get two, maybe three. All the judges who agree will unite on one opinion. If there's someone who has a dissent, they'll write their dissent, and they'll put it out there so that it's on record. This unity of the court, and most court decisions, by the way, are not 5-4. Most of them are are much more clear-cut. And so this unity of the court versus the disunity of Congress When we were trying to pass the Affordable Care Act, otherwise known as Obamacare. He loves that name. How many of you remember the tension and the drama of that moment, the day that that vote was being taken? Nobody knew for sure that when that vote started, nobody knew what Congress was going to do. A total violation of civil service mentality, which is you never vote on anything. You don't know how it's going to turn out. But nobody knew, but they were at the impact. They had to vote. And so we all sat here that day with our televisions on watching the votes click, 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 and waiting to see what our representatives were going to do. Because we didn't know. I mean, officially we didn't know. We, I mean, we, we guessed we knew, but they didn't tell us until they actually voted. Congress then disintegrated over that because in the next elections the people spoke and said, no, we want other people, and now every time they vote on it, they vote to overturn it. Where the Supreme Court says, no, it's constitutional, it stands. And it's as if Congress has no say in this, in this matter at all. They can't seem to find the traction. The argument now is, well, we'll just defund it. But look at the arguments over defunding. The House can pass it. Can the Senate get enough people to filibuster? It? The, the fracturedness, the fracturing of Congress, the political element in the fracturing of Congress versus the unity of the judiciary. The apparent unity, whether there's disagreement or not, gives the judiciary that look of firmness. Yeah, like they've got it figured out. They know what they're talking about. Right. Hey, we've decided this. Look at Congress over there.
1: It's, a, it's adults sitting in a library rather than children arguing on, on a playground.
0: And as Congress has ceded more and more of the bureaucratic control of the court system to the court system, it's self, it becomes self-policing and self-organizing today's courts now have near plenary authority to define their own agenda, which they didn't have before, that enables the court to draw more and more power to itself at minimal risk of political reprisal. If we don't like what the court does, what do we do?
1: There's nothing you can
0: do. The only thing we can do is elect different senators and different presidents. That's it. That's all we can do. Right. But we still can't get rid of the people that are there. And that's... What's caused all this? After I said, as uh, after Vietnam and Watergate, much of the public has come to view the judiciary as the more hon- honest and uh, competent than the political branches, which should be a surprise to no one, of course. Modern presidents and congressmen are far less likely to assert their own constitutional visions than their predecessors were. How often do you hear a congressman say this anything is... about the Constitution?
1: Never. Never. You
0: don't? How many... How many inaugural addresses over the past I don't know 50 years have dealt or dwelt on any of the issues in the constitution? So naturally it defaults to the Supreme Court to the court system to be the defining of what the constitution means. Which is what they set out to be all along anyway back with Chief Justice Marshall. We decide what it means. All the way back in the early 1800s. Could it be changed? Could Congress once again reseize that power? They could. And in fact, there's precedent for them doing so. We've talked about the Marbury versus Madison case, but that case, while it's famous for its trumpet calls by, by Justice Marshall, really wasn't what the big issue was. There was another case a week later in which Congress, when the courts recognized that Congress does have power over the courts, but they don't like to talk about that one very loudly because they're afraid Congress do might it again. pay attention again. Who knows where that would end up. The judiciary has become, de facto, the interpreter of the Constitution, but only because Congress let them be that way. Unfortunate, but true. Tomorrow we got fun with news. we got top five simple and easy recipes. Get yours in. Email it, at davediamondshow at clearchannel.com, or don't text them. They're too big to text, I'm sure. But email them, davediamondshow at clearchannel.com, or Facebook them to us on our Facebook page. One of the... T- so we'll do that tomorrow. All right? Sounds good to me. We're going to have fun. Take the time right now. Tell the people that matter in your life you love them very much. You'd miss them if they weren't there. So don't pass up those opportunities. You don't want to have that regret. I'm Dave. That's John. Have a wonderful evening, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow for a fun Friday episode of Afternoons Live with Dave and John. Right here on KFIV, 1360 AM Modesto, KWSX, 1280 AM Stockton. Everywhere be the iHeart Radio app. See you tomorrow, everybody. Stay tuned. Rusty's next. Stockton Ports Baseball over on KWSF. Afternoon's Live is a Slippery Fish Entertainment production for Clear Channel Media and Entertainment Modesto.